Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80 will be our concentration for today. Okay, beginning in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And that section is what Ryan read earlier. And of course, we'll, uh, we'll be reading it as we go through this text, but we'll skip forward for now to the last verse, verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We've been in Luke chapter 1 for a few weeks now. Again, we'll be closing out the chapter. And um, as we've gone through, we have been paying very close attention to the purpose for which this text was written, which we are told very clearly about in chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. Luke has taken great pains to write an orderly account. He's done much investigation concerning the things that had been accomplished among them. Now writing sometime in the 60s AD, he's writing to this Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, that he and everyone like him, that is, believers, may have certainty. So this is his purpose. He writes this orderly account that believers may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. A few weeks ago, we began looking at this announcement from the angel Gabriel to this elderly priest by the name of Zechariah. As he is in the holy place offering incense at the hour of prayer, the angel appears to him at the right side of the altar and says that he and his wife would bear a son. And Zechariah didn't believe. As Luke is writing for our certainty, we first see a case of deep doubt and deep uncertainty. And we noted the sad consequences of that, that Zechariah was disabled for the next nine months. The angel says in verse 20, until the day that these things take place. So he is unable to hear and he is unable to speak. Today, we're coming back to Zechariah. We then, as we continued through the narrative, saw the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary, announcing the birth of her son. Last week, we saw the visitation of Mary and Elizabeth, and how both of them shouted and sang praises to the Lord 
for what God was giving to them. And now we come back to Zechariah again. And we see that the discipline of the Lord has had its desired effect. He has gone from a place of very troubling uncertainty to now unshakable certainty. And I want to ask you as we begin, are you growing in your faith? I know some of you better than I know others, but I don't think that there would be any one of you that I could pinpoint where you are on the faith spectrum. And we're using Zechariah as our, as our test case here. A man whom we see on the polar ends of the spectrum, going from that troubling uncertainty to unshakable certainty in the promises of God. I'm not so much concerned about where you have been. I am concerned about where you are on that spectrum and where you are going. And it's my prayer that you are growing in faith in God and his promises. Today we're going to look at this song, that's going to be our main concentration, that Zachariah sings in the fullness of the Spirit. And we're going to be asking ourselves over and over again and rehearsing from Zechariah's song who Jesus is for us. That's the question you're going to hear me raise again and again over our time. Who is Jesus for us? Because when we look at ourselves on that spectrum of faith and try to locate where we are, we do introspection and self-examination. Those things are necessary, but they don't grow our faith. Looking within yourself does not grow your faith. It's by taking your eyes off of yourself and fixing them on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and realizing who He is for you, that your faith grows. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Zechariah is going to be a help for us. The Word of God, of course, is the help for us that we need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask His help. Father, we come to You. And we ask that You would help our unbelief. We believe. Help our unbelief. I think, Father, of that that question that Jesus asked and continues to ask, when he, the Son of Man, comes, will he find faith on the earth? I pray, Father, that if he would come today, if he would come in our lifetimes, that he would find faith in us. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen our faith So for this, we need clear eyes to see Jesus. We need the revelation of Christ before us. We need the glorious vision that your word gives. We need it before us. And we need eyes to see on our own. We are blind. Our vision is clouded with the things of the world, so many distractions, the idolatries that our hearts cultivate. All of these things give us clear eyes, trained on Jesus. I ask in his name. Amen. 
For three months, Mary has stayed in Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. That's what we're told in the, the last verse just before our reading for today. Uh, verse 56, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So for three months, Mary is with Zechariah and Elizabeth in their house. And I just want you to imagine for a moment the, the fellowship that exists between these very few people who realize, they are the very few who realize that the nation is on the brink of the long-awaited salvation. And they know with certainty that their sons are the fulfillment of promise. So imagine the joy that Mary and Elizabeth share, the hope, the praises that they sing to God for has there ever been a, a three-month space of time where there has been sweeter fellowship between two sisters than existed in those, those months? So you imagine that, and you imagine all that Zechariah misses out on to a great degree because he cannot share with them his words of hope and joy. He can't express his praise to God. And he can't hear anything that they are saying either. And so he waits. He waits for the time when he will receive his healing. The angel had said that for his disbelief, he would be disabled. If you check back in chapter 1, verse 20, he would be disabled until the day these things take place. And so we see at the beginning of our account that we're studying today, 57 and and 58, that the time comes and Elizabeth gives birth to the promised son. The neighbors and the relatives hear of this and they gather to rejoice with her for the, the Lord's great mercy that he has lavished upon her. Now there is nothing in the world. I don't think it's possible for me to oversell this. There's nothing in the world like hearing your newborn's first cry. It is, it's heartbreaking in all of the best ways. But Zechariah can't hear a sound. Put yourself in his shoes. Imagine that scene, the emergence of your firstborn for whom you have waited up until elderly years and you can't hear a sound. There's no better feeling than holding your newborn in your arms and introducing yourself. I'm your daddy. And making those sweet promises and pledging your protection and your leadership and everything to your child, your provision. Telling your child that he, she is a gift from God. There's nothing better. But Zachariah can't speak a word to his son. And I just wonder, between verses 58 and 59, does Zechariah begin to wonder when his healing will be? Does Zechariah begin to doubt? The angel had spoken of the day in verse 20. Now this big day has come, and Zechariah is still unable On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Elizabeth's response 
You see this especially in the original language. is quite forceful. She is putting her foot down. No. He shall be called John. Now the relatives are among those who are gathered there. And they're thinking, okay, if you're not going to name him Zechariah, at least name him after one of us. And this was, was customary, of course, in their day. So they turn to Zechariah. And they make motions to him. And this is the clue that not only has he been unable to speak, but he has also been unable to hear for these many months. They make motions to him to what he will have the child call. And they're probably expecting some kind of spousal spat at this time. He asks for a tablet. He gets it and he writes to everybody's wonder. Again, quite forcefully, this appears in the language. His name is John. And once Zechariah has obeyed what God had spoken concerning his son, his own ability to speak immediately returns to him. And the first words out of his mouth are, Praise the Lord. Luke takes note in verses 65 and 66 of the response of the people. I'm going to read this again. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? They knew that something great was going to come through John's life. But what it was, they didn't know. And they were going to take a wait-and-see approach. In the meantime, Zechariah, who hasn't been able to speak for these many months, as long as Elizabeth has been pregnant and even before, he is certain of what his son is going to be. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to sing. And so what we have in verses 67 down through 79, this is what Zechariah spoke and he sung on the day that his son was circumcised. When it says that his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God... Luke is now rewinding, in a sense, after he closes out 65 and 66. He's rewinding to that day. And he is letting us know these are the words that Zechariah spoke of his son, over his son. It's going to be a recurring theme in Luke, especially over the first nine chapters, that Luke will often press pause on the action. And take note of what everybody is thinking about what's going on. How everybody is processing all of the extraordinary things that are happening in these incredible days. He, he tells about how they are in wonder, that rumors are, are spreading, questions being asked, they are amazed, they, they glorify God, they say things like, a great prophet is among us, God has visited us. This is the kind of thing they say, even Herod is asking, and we're going to see even John comes to a place where he is going to ask, who are you? So Luke often, again, he presses pause on the action, and he takes note of what the people are thinking, the questions they are asking about identity. So Luke, after recording that, you know, the questions of the people, now he's answering. He says, okay, so you want to know who John is, what John will be. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. Think about this. 
Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, in answering that question, what will his son be, sings over his son. These are his first words. He sings over his son the song of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For John will be all about Jesus. And this is imagination. It's imagination. But I imagine that John again leapt with joy. Do you remember when Mary first entered Zechariah and Elizabeth's house and uh, Elizabeth heard the sound of Mary's voice and before she knew who her visitor was, John responded. John signaled this was the mother of the Lord. He leapt with joy for Christ was present. And as Zechariah sings, I just imagine that uh, as Zechariah sings, I imagine that John is leaping again and I don't know that that all those baby sounds that signal joy. The Lord's discipline has accomplished its purpose in Zechariah's life, affecting this certainty of faith. And Zechariah has grown. Just before we really get into this text, can you imagine what these, these few who know what is happening feel? Can you imagine what they feel? I can. Because haven't we been in the same place for so long? Haven't you asked yourself often, how long, O oh Lord? How long will it be until our salvation comes? That's what they have been asking. That's what they have been crying out to God for centuries. How long? And so now these Few, these common people in Israel know he's coming. We are on the verge of our salvation. And I imagine that it feels, can just think of what it would be for us if Jesus was right here, right now. It would feel surreal in a sense, wouldn't it? Could it be that Christ has finally come? That our salvation has arrived? And so I'm sure that it feels, in a sense, surreal to them. At the same time, however, they are deeply certain of what is happening. Let's go back into this song. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesies, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. How do we know that Zechariah has grown so incredibly in his faith? He actually borrows in these first couple of lines of his song from an element of Mary's song. Remember last week I was telling you that Mary is so certain in her faith of what is going to be accomplished through her son that she actually speaks of future events in this past tense. She says that he has scattered the proud, he has brought down the mighty, exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry, and the rich he has sent away empty. And she is speaking in this tense of completion, as though it really was already done. Zechariah is doing the same. He says he has visited 
and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, not to be too critical, Zechariah, we don't want to be really nitpicky, but that's what he's about to do. Okay, that's what he's on the verge of doing. But he hasn't raised up the horn of salvation yet. That's coming. How, how can Zechariah legitimately speak this way as though these things were already done? This is his certainty. Where does it come from? It comes from the God who has spoken. What God has declared is as good as done. In fact, this is the the Lord's declaration. He says, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will, I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. He says, I will put salvation in Zion. There is only one thing certain in this life. Sometimes we say there are two, death and taxes, right? There is only one thing certain in this life, and it's not death. The only thing that's certain is that God will do as he has spoken. God will fulfill his promises. That's the one certain thing, and you can stake your life upon it. Do you believe the word of the Lord? Do you believe with deep, unshakable certainty that God will fulfill his word? Jesus asks. It's not just that he he asked, that he raised the question. This is the nature of scripture, that God speaks. So Jesus is asking, when he, the Son of Man, comes, Will he find faith on the earth? What will God do through those people who believe the word of the Lord? What will he do through them? What joy will those people know who believe the word of God above all else? What will their work of love be in the earth? What witness will they bear those who believe the word of the Lord above all else. What will be their heights of joy? What sweet communion will those people know? What glory will they see, even this side of heaven? Those who believe the word of the Lord above all the word of man. Well, let's get talking about Jesus. Okay? Because he is all of our reason to believe. And this is how our faith increases. 
He has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Okay? Who is Jesus for us? He is the horn of our salvation. Perhaps that term, that word horn, doesn't particularly inspire you. Sweet. Horn. What else you got? But listen to David. This is David from Psalm 18. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Ten terms. All of these terms speaking of the might of God, of his power. Strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, shield, stronghold, and horn. This is not a case of one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. And if that sounds familiar to you, then you're familiar with Sesame Street. But we have these ten terms. Is it like horn doesn't fit? Because they are all rock, fortress, deliver, shield, stronghold. All speak of might. All speak of power. The horn is a very common symbol in the ancient world for strength and for power. And the Bible frequently uses it. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the horn of our salvation. How strong and how sure is your salvation? It is as strong and sure as this horn. It is as strong and sure as Christ. Who is Jesus for you? He is the horn of your salvation. Who is Jesus for you? He is the fulfillment of God's word. Zacharias sings that he is raised up in the house of God's servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. In Corinthians, Paul says that every promise of God is yes and amen. In Jesus. 1,000 years before this, God promised David through the prophet Nathan. He said, your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So when Zechariah, now remember, Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah is a Levite. John is a Levite. The house of David does not belong to the tribe of Levi, but to Judah. Who is John singing about? He is singing over his son of Jesus. Jesus from the tribe of Judah, of the house of David, raised up from David's house to be the horn of our salvation. Jesus is the fulfillment of the great covenant word. 100 years about After these events, Jesus, in in closing out the New Testament scriptures, speaks to his apostle John, and he says, I am the root and the descendant of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. Who is Jesus for you? He is the horn of your salvation. He is the fulfillment of God's word. And he is the promised king. This is what is being spoken of here. 
He is the long-awaited heir to David's throne, the anointed one. He is the Messiah, the Hebrew word, the Christ, the Greek equivalent. This is who Jesus is. He is the king. How certain is this? How, how great can be your faith in these particular promises? In Jeremiah 33, as the Davidic dynasty was actually collapsing, this promise is made. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. Jeremiah 33, verses 20 and 21. The first morning that the enemies of the Lord can keep the sun from rising, they will be able to displace Jesus from the throne. That's all. Just keep the sun back. Just keep it down. Change the course of the sun. Change, be more scientifically precise, the rotation of the earth. That's it. Stop the earth. And then you can dethrone King Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the fulfillment again. He is the fulfillment of God's word. Direct your attention to verses 72 and 73. He is the mercy promised to our fathers in remembrance of God's holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. When God said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, he was saying, one of yours, one of your descendants, Abraham, will be mine. One of your sons will be my son, and he will be the blessing that is promised to the nations. He is again the fulfillment of God's word. We're just taking it back further from the covenant that was given 1,000 years before Jesus to the covenant word given 2,000 years before. He fulfills the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. He is the fulfillment of God's word for us. And he is the mercy of God poured out on us from heaven by which it is granted to us. Look at verses 73 and following verse 74 by which this mercy poured out on us, by which it is granted to us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Jesus is the mercy from heaven who ends all of our fears. He is our redemption, verse 68. He is our salvation, verse 71. And he is our deliverance, verse 74, our freedom from the fears of the threats of this world, from the threats of judgment, from the tyranny and power of sin. And he is our freedom from the devil who would keep us enslaved to the fear of death. Jesus is the mercy that frees us from our fears. Are you growing in your faith? Are your fears, to put it in a different way, becoming less and less powerful all the time? Are you growing in your faith? What do we as the people of God have to fear? 
In Psalm chapter 2, it says that the nations rage and the people's plot. Those are troubling words. They weren't, they weren't only true in, in David's day, 3,000 years ago when he wrote them, but they're very true in our day. We see it on the, in the headlines every day. The nations are raging and the peoples are plotting. It says in Psalm 2, in vain. And they set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. Psalm 2, verse 4. People of God, what do we have to fear? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What do we have to fear? David will ask a few times in the Psalms, What can man do unto me. Well, a lot. Pretty terrifying things is one answer. Paul said, for your sake, speaking to the Lord, quoting the Old Testament, he said, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Oh, you know, these words are going through the the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters in Iraq, in Syria, in North Korea, and many other places all over this globe. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, and they are continuing, as Paul does, no. In all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus said, some of you, the world will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. He says to his people in Isaiah, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. As soon as his breath stops, his threats stop. His life stops. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? Isaiah 2, 22. Who is Jesus for you? He is your salvation from the tyranny of all the fears, of all your anxieties. Jesus is mercy from heaven. Sweet relief from all of our fears. In verse 76, Zechariah now speaks directly in his song to his son. And he prophesies what his son will be. Turn your attention back there. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. So the people are asking, what then will this child be? And Zechariah sings a song about Jesus. Because it's Jesus whom John will be all about. And even as Zechariah speaks specifically about his son, the tie is to Christ. As he talks about the role that he will have to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins, 
of their sins. He's talking about Jesus. For how will, how will John accomplish this mission? John's going to say, he must increase. I must decrease. And he's going to take joy in the magnification of Christ. How is he going to give the people of God knowledge of their salvation and the forgiveness of their sins? He is going to say, behold him. Away from himself, he's going to say, behold him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus for you? Jesus is the forgiveness of our sins. In whose blood at the cross all our sins are washed away and we stand before God pure. As pure as Christ with the very purity of Christ. Verses 78 and 79. Who is Jesus? All of this comes, he comes because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Who is Jesus? Long ago, Isaiah had prophesied, Isaiah chapter 9, in very familiar words to you, The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. To those who sit in darkness, the light has shone. On them has light shone. For to us, Isaiah says, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Who is Jesus for us? The government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Who is Jesus for us? He is the sunrise from on high, the day spring. He is light for us, shining upon us in our darkness. He is your redemption. He is the strength, the horn of your salvation. He is your king. He is your mercy. He is the fulfillment of the word of God. He is your forgiveness. He is your light and he is your peace. He is everything you need. He is all. He is all that you need. Do you believe that the, do you believe the word that God has spoken concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you growing in your faith? Again, going back to what I was saying at the very beginning, I don't know where you are on this faith spectrum. In this case of Zechariah, we see a man who before us in just a few months time has experienced The polar ends, lived the polar ends, beginning with this deep uncertainty. And nine months or so later, his is unshakable certainty. The Lord's discipline has accomplished its purpose. And Zechariah, full of faith, has hope and joy and sings praise to the Lord.
because he realizes something that we must realize and that we are so guilty of taking for granted. We must realize the promised one has come. God fulfills his word, and he has fulfilled it in Jesus. So, as it was with Zacharias, so it is with you and me. There is no excuse for unbelief. There is no excuse for unbelief. But there is mercy for unbelief. Zechariah is an example of the long-suffering and patience of God for all of those who would believe. There is mercy for our unbelief. We must humble ourselves before God and cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. I know that it is so easy for us And I imagine that there is not just a few here who are ruled by fear and by anxieties. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what's ahead. Fear of dying. Fear, maybe it's just fear simply of man. Of losing the reputation that we're so careful to cherish and cultivate and uphold and all of that could just be that fear fear of insecurity fear but we were saved it says in verse 74 we were delivered from our enemies that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days So, let me just ask a couple questions in closing. What darkness in your life does not scatter at our sunrise, at our day spring from on high? What enemy of the people of God will not be run off the earth by the horn of our salvation? And what thing is causing you anxiety in your life that doesn't bend to his will? And all of these are rhetorical questions. The answer is nothing. No one. There there is no darkness that does not scatter at his light. There is no enemy that will not be run off by the horn of our salvation. And there is nothing that is causing you and I anxiety that doesn't bend to his will. He is Lord of all. And we can trust him. Absolutely. Again, what will God do through those people who believe him above all the word of man? What will God do through them? Let's strive to be those people of unshakable certainty in the promises of God. Father, we pray that you would help us we're so eager for your help, we're so needy for your help. We're so quick, we confess to unbelief 
to doubt and to fear, as Zechariah was. But we're encouraged, Father. He received an angel. He disbelieved. And yet you showed him great mercy. And that is what you do with sinners. We know that in Jesus, we have your mercy poured out from heaven for the forgiveness, the washing away of all of our sins. So we stand in Christ before you, forgiven, pure, asking boldly that you would strengthen our faith. Help us to be believers. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.